I'm Carson Horn, and it's Wednesday at 10, which means it's time for Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper and let's get rolling. Welcome in, everyone. As, as that new intro said, it is Wednesday at 10. It is no longer Friday at 11. That's the new show time for you. If you're listening live on radio, of course, it doesn't really affect you that much. If you're listening on podcast later on, either way, I appreciate you tuning in. I'm excited to, to have this new show time. Works a little bit better with, with my schedule, but that's neither here nor there. We've still got plenty of Auburn to talk about. I talked about this uh, LSU basketball game on the last show just a little bit um, uh, because I didn't think I was going to have a show again until Friday. That was before the, the move of the time change, so I'll, I'll touch on that game a little bit. But to start today, we're going to jump into football and recruiting because that's what where I left you on Friday. I didn't get into that, so I want to get into that. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm going to go through as much as I can regarding high school and transfer portal today. We might have more that I get into later on because, again, there have been so many uh, new players drove for 30-something new players, I believe, that are coming into this Auburn football program between high school and transfer portal. Of course, there'll be some more pickups and there'll be some more attrition as far as guys leaving, guys coming in this spring. So we're going to keep an eye on that, but this is what we've got right now. So I'm going to start with high school, and I do a little bit of a quick recap in case, you know, it's been it's been a month now since signing day, of what kind of went down around signing day. This staff did an absolutely incredible job putting together this type of high school recruiting class in about three weeks. Now, you have to give credit to Zach Etheridge. You have to give credit to Cadillac Williams. And even some of the guys that are no longer on staff that were still recruiting as they were on staff leading up to sign day, like a Christian Robinson, who uh, was the linebacker's coach, that let, got let go by Hugh Freeze, but he was still working. You got to give those guys a lot of credit, and then you got to give Hugh Freeze a lot of credit for coming in here and getting to work. Auburn ended up flipping eight guys in this class. I mean, that is absolutely incredible. It's a pretty strong indictment against Brian Harson and the fact that a lot of these guys wanted to come to Auburn, but he just didn't give them something to believe in. And so Hugh Freeze came in here. He gave them to a reason to believe that Auburn's going to get back to the level that it's supposed to be at. But again, what a remarkable job this staff did. You know, I was saying top 25 class, that, that, that would be great for in the time frame that they've got to be able to put that together. Well, according to On3 Sports, Auburn finished with the number 16th class in the country in high school ranks. I mean, again, just a phenomenal job um, by this staff and working on guys that were committed. Like I said, the flips, those were huge. If you don't flip the guys that Auburn flipped, this, this, this class wouldn't have been possible. So just because guys were committed, that didn't stop Hugh Freeze and staff from going after them if they really believed that they could be Auburn Tigers and a lot of these guys like I said, really liked Auburn, just needed a reason to to flip to Auburn, to come to Auburn, and that's what happened. Some of these guys flipped before this, uh, before Hugh Freeze. Guys like uh, Duran Reed, which is one that I'll talk about him a little bit later on. He flipped when Cadillac was uh, interim head coach, I believe. 
Uh, Clay Whedon flipped, I think, still during the Brian Harson era. He was from Michigan State. But then you had some come on later. And also, this staff came awfully close, awfully close to flipping a couple other guys. Tony Mitchell, uh, there, there's some, some rumors out there that he had even committed to Auburn the night before signing day, flipping from Alabama. But he, in the end, ended up uh, signing with Alabama. Uh, it's always going to be tough to flip guys from Bama. Auburn came awfully close on him. Auburn did flip uh, Isaiah Jada from, um, well, excuse me, they didn't flip him. They had a, yes, they did flip him silently from South Carolina, and then, but he publicly never committed to Auburn. And then on signing day, it was a little bit of a surprise. He ended up signing with Deion Sanders out there at Colorado. So that was another offensive lineman that Auburn um, kind of missed on. Those were two guys that I know of that, that Auburn was really close to also adding to this class. And, and those two guys probably would have put them at a top 15 class. Again, that's still a possibility uh, in February, depending on if the if and who they decide uh, to take in February. But I'm going to look at now, discuss some of the guys who I think were the biggest flips and are arguably going to have the biggest impact uh, this year from the high school ranks. Again, I'm not going to break down every single player that Auburn got from the high school ranks at this moment. Just going to talk about some big guys. But the three biggest flips before I get into that, and those are the three biggest flips are three of the top recruits, I believe. Keldrick Falk, flipping him from Florida State, uh, the defensive end out of Highland home. Huge, huge uh, guy. Uh, big flip. He he said later on that it was always Auburn. Auburn was always his number one school, but he had been committed to Florida State for about half a year. Now, I, I do believe he wanted to be an Auburn Tiger. Again, just another one of those situations where Brian Harson and company did not give him enough you know, belief that this program was going to be in, in in a spot where he felt comfortable coming into it. And the Florida State staff give them credit, man. They have built a great relationship with him. And, and Tallahassee's not a terrible drive um, from Highland Home. And, and I believe that really Hodger Falk, his family, they wanted him to be close to home. His mom, I think, had a big impact in this recruitment here, wanted him to be close to home. Obviously, Auburn's not far at all. Florida State was probably the second closest. He ends up going with Auburn, though, and that was a huge flip uh, there. Uh, Kay and Lee, or Kai and Lee, I, I can't remember exactly how to pronounce it, defensive back out of Georgia, was committed to Ohio State for a long time. Really, to flip somebody from Ohio State, even if they are in Georgia, it, it, it's just a big deal because Ohio State, the Alabamas, the Clemsons of the world, They're that brand. They are. And it's a big deal when you can say, hey, we're competing with these guys. We're flipping guys from these programs. I don't care that he was from just from Georgia and you could argue, well, then, you know, that's better for Auburn anyways because of the proximity. It doesn't matter. That is a huge deal. He is an excellent player. That was a big flip. Third big flip, Xavion Miller, the uh, Juco uh, offensive tackle from Ole Miss. Now, it certainly helped that Auburn got Ole Miss's offensive line coach and Jake Thornton, but nonetheless, that was another big flip. That was a need Auburn had. And um, so those three guys I thought were three of the biggest of the, out of the eight flips that Auburn had from the high school ranks. Those, in my opinion, or Juco, for Xavier Miller's case, were the biggest. With that being said, let's get into guys who I think can have the biggest impact the earliest. I'll start out with the guys I just mentioned. Keldrick Falk. I mentioned he's a big, dynamic, athletic player, about 6'5", 6'6", 
somewhere in the 250 range. You've seen him all the way from, I think, people listening from 230 to 270. He's somewhere in that range. I think he's more on the lighter side. I certainly believe that Auburn's going to try to put more muscle mass on him and turn him into a more a true five tech, which is the guy who lines up on the outside shoulder of the tackle. I don't think he's going to be a stand-up edge because of his size. He's listed as an edge on recruiting sites. Also, with Auburn's defense this year, the edge position is going to be called a jack, more of a jack linebacker, so more of an outside linebacker than a true edge. So I think he's going to be more of a true defensive end that you don't see a ton anymore in college football because, you know, again, everything's popular about that edge position, the more outside linebacker slash defensive end type of position. I think he's going to be a true defensive end, which means he's going to need to add a little bit more weight so he can hold his own uh, in the run game as well, not get pushed around there. But again, when you look at somebody of his stature, I, there's no doubt that he can have an impact and he can have an impact earlier. I played against him in high school. He was, he's, um, a uh, year younger uh, than me, I played against him my junior and senior year. Luckily, I didn't really have to block him much because he was on the edge. I wouldn't have been able to block him if I had tried. I would I would have cut him, um, but that probably wouldn't have worked either. Uh, but he is a, a fantastic player, huge get uh, for Auburn here. For Xavion Miller, looking at him, coming from the JUCO ranks, and what I've learned from the JUCO ranks, it, it, it is better than high school. However, you got to remember... They're still just like a high schooler, so to expect them to come in and automatically be like you're getting, for instance, like you're getting a transfer from another SEC program, no, it's not exactly like this, like that. So to expect too much from them, uh, and, I, and I've done this in the past where I've, I've thought that a JUCO guy coming in should be at the highest of the high levels, and that's really just not the case. But with Xavion Miller, he, he is still raw. But he's a very good run blocker. He's still got to work a little bit in, in pass blocking. I really do think because Auburn landed uh, two transfer tackles, I do believe he'll probably play guard. That's where they'll probably look at him at, in, in my opinion, right now. Again, if Auburn gets another offensive lineman after spring uh, after spring practice, we'll see. My guess is, though, he'll be more looking at guard because of the two transfer tackles and because of his... Uh, lack of ability a little bit right now in pass blocking, better at run blocking. So I like him more on the interior. Nonetheless, he should be, should be, I'll say that, an upgrade over some of what Auburn had last year on the offensive line. Now, Kayden Lee, this is a guy who stood out in the All-American game, played very well, highly rated recruit. Uh, he is a guy who knows how to find the ball at defensive back. That, that's the thing that stood out to me just a little bit. I've watched and looking at his his film, uh, he had plenty of interceptions in his high school career. High IQ guy, knows the game really well, reads the uh, quarterback very well. Um, he lacks a little bit from um, the scouting profiles I've read, a little bit in athleticism, a little bit in size, although I do think he may be a touch above six foot now. But he makes up for that with his intellect and his knowledge of the game. Uh, I really think he could have an impact early again. This is a loaded, a loaded secondary for Auburn from the guys that they brought in in the high school ranks and the guys that they still got on the roster. Uh, everyone in the secondary is returning, so it's going to be hard for, for uh, Kay and Lee to find his way in there this, this year. But if anyone were to do it, I believe it would be him for this team. The next one that is uh, was a flip, but not the flip that came around signing day, Deron Reed. 
A lot of folks believe he is the best player in this high school recruiting class for Auburn. He is a big, uh, over six foot, I want to say around six three, um, big defensive lineman. He's, he's athletic though, big and strong, can move around from inside to outside. I think long term he'll be more of a three tech, more of a a, a Colby uh, Wooden type of player. For Auburn, and if he's Colby Wooden level at some point during his career, that's going to be very, very good uh, for Auburn. Like I said, um, but he's got flexibility, so maybe even lining him up at nose could be a possibility. But I do think maybe that one technique, the uh, inside shade of the the center, or the three technique, which is the outside shade of the guard, will be more of where he kind of fits uh, for this Auburn uh, offense uh, defensive line. Excuse me. Uh, so really more of an even front type of player, I believe. But again, someone who could get in there. The defensive line needed, defense line room needed to improve. So really he has a great opportunity to find his way on the field this upcoming season. And again, he looked really impressive in the All-American game as well that I watched. Uh, his, his film is really impressive. This is a big get for Auburn into a defensive line room. Like I said, that's got to drastically improve. There's a lot of guys in that room. The problem is that the talent maybe wasn't where it needed to be, or at least it wasn't being developed in the way it needed to be. So big get here for Auburn. Uh, another guy like Connor Liu. He's a smart, big, strong, underrated, in my opinion, offensive lineman. He's a true center. I believe that's what he'll be at Auburn. He's around 6'3". He is a guy that you look at, and a lot of guys who know more than me that have studied recruiting for a long time, from what I've read and, and watched and listened to, He's a guy who could start as a freshman at center. That's a big deal. And center, again, I played it, uh, so I, I take pride in that position. It is it is a position where you've got to be in control of the offensive line. You've got to know every little thing. You've got to be an extremely uh, intelligent player as far as understanding what the defense is doing, what the offense uh, needs to do to adjust to that. So the fact that people are saying that he, as a freshman, could start at center in the SEC it's pretty high praise for him. I don't think he's going to have to now. We'll talk about Avery Jones here in a little bit. That's the transfer center that's coming in. But he could, and who knows, maybe he beats out Avery Jones. Uh, I think he is an early enrollee, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he is a guy I really, really like. And again, very, very talented player. Someone certainly uh, keep your eye on. This was a flip from Miami, and Auburn's uh, aviation program actually played a big role in that. He wants to be a pilot. Uh, if that tells you anything about him, Nick Brahms, former Auburn center, uh, was also is also going to be a pilot. Was part of the aviation program. So keep it rolling with the centers in the in the aviation program. With that, we'll close out this first segment. I've still got a little bit more to talk about as far as high school recruiting goes, and then we'll move in to the transfer portal. So stay tuned to Talking Tumors here on One. Thank you all for, for tuning in today, whether that's live or, or via podcast. To finish off the high school recruiting that I wanted to talk about, I want to talk about a dark horse guy that I like that's not getting a lot of attention in this recruiting class, but someone who I think could end up being a very good player for Auburn. And for me, that's Clay Whedon. I mentioned him earlier, flipped from Michigan State. Uh, still while Brian Harson, I believe, and staff were here. He's a guy, if you listen to his interviews, he's very down-to-earth, uh, very mature guy. The dude just wants to come here. He wants to grind. He wants to be the best player that he can be. He said, look, I understand in the SEC, you know, you're usually not going to come in as a freshman and start. I get that. I just want to make this team better, whatever I've got to do on scout team, wherever they want me to play. I'm here to do it. 
you, you got to love a guy like that. That doesn't mean he's going to be, oh, you know, I'm, I'm satisfied with just being on scout team or being a, a third string. No, he's going to grind. He's going to do everything he can to become a starter. But he's also going to make the team better if that's not his role this upcoming season. He's someone that I just really think that by his junior year, you're talking about Clay Whedon as one of the best offensive linemen uh, on this Auburn football team. Again, wasn't a super highly ranked guy, uh, a three-star guy, but someone I, just because of his personality, his vibe that I get from him, I like him a lot, and uh, I think he's going to have a, a big impact on, on this Auburn program moving forward. As far as early enrollees go, guys that are currently at Auburn taking classes right now, uh, like I'm doing, except you know this is their first semester here, uh, there's eight total from the high school ranks. Of course, all the transfers that Auburn has gotten are all uh, coming on now. I don't think there's any guys that are waiting until uh, the summer. Again, they're uh, of the current 12 that have, that have signed with Auburn. Again, there's eight total uh, high school guys, Keldrick Falk, uh, Kay and Lee, um, and uh, among others uh, in that group. Most of the guys I talked about are all early enrollees along with a few a few other guys. So with that, let's move in now to the transfer portal uh, recruiting. Wow, did Auburn make some noise in the transfer portal? And they had to. There, there was no choice. I think every Auburn fan that that understood where this roster was at when when Hugh Freeze took over, I think understood that that whoever took over this program was going to have to hit the transfer portal hard. Uh, because it really is an atrocity, the the state that Brian Harson left this program in from a roster standpoint. There is no reason, there's absolutely no reason that Auburn should have been lacking the talent and the depth they were lacking to be a prominent SEC program and, and to be in the spot they're in. It's embarrassing is what it is. Uh, but Hugh Freeze has come in, he knew that, and part of what John Cohen was looking for in a head coach was a guy that, he knew could come in and get this roster to a competitive level in year one. I'm not saying that this roster is a championship roster. It's not. But I think Hugh Freeze has done the best that he could do with it. There's still a couple needs, and we're going to talk about that. But he has done the best that he could possibly do with this roster, and it is exceeded my expectations. I'll say that. Um, so I have to applaud him for that and, and what he has done Um as far as the transfer portal goes, though, this isn't something that you want to do every year. I know there's some programs that, that like to do this. UCLA, uh, Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin seems to like that. Some of that has to do, though, with this type of program you are. Ole Miss can't recruit at a high level, uh, high high school recruiting level. Therefore, they're kind of forced a little bit to uh, use the transfer portal. UCLA, similar. Look, it's already hard enough to recruit out there on the West Coast, and then USC and Oregon kind of dominate the high school uh, ranks. They're kind of forced to a little bit. Michigan State, uh, you see, uh, has done it with Mel Tucker there. But with that reference, you also understand, well, look what happened with Michigan State. They had a 10-win season, and they, they were awful this year. That's the risk you run with building a team each year out of the transfer portal. Some years you're going to hit. Some years you're going to get a lot of really good players, and you're going to have a really talented team. Other years you're not. You're you're either you're going to think you got a, a lot of talented players, and they're just not going to pan out like you thought, or you really just don't do that as well. But you're dependent upon it to to bring in a talented roster, and that's why in development. That's why high school recruiting is still the most important. 
You want to use the transfer portal like Alabama, like Georgia used the transfer portal to fill a spot here and there where you've got a weakness. Look, Georgia didn't take anybody from the transfer portal last year. This year, I know they've taken at least two wide receivers because that was a weakness uh, for them. You don't want to have to build a team out of the transfer portal. That's the whole ordeal, and I'm sure uh, many of you have heard that, that that's the case. I'm not saying you can't be successful with it. USC had a successful season by building a team out of the transfer portal. I believe Auburn can be successful uh, next year by building a team out of the transfer portal. But as far as long-term stability goes for a program, high school recruiting uh, needs to be at a high level and then using transfer for spots. Now, that's not to say Auburn may not have to use the transfer portal uh, a lot again next year. It probably will be because, again, this roster is so far behind, it's going to take a couple cycles, uh, as far as high school recruiting goes, to catch up. But after next year, hopefully Auburn does not have to use the transfer portal in the same way. Alright, that was a lot of words to say just to get into the players that Auburn got out of the transfer portal and talk about uh, the excitement that I have for them. Let's talk about those guys, and then we'll talk a little bit about the needs. I'm not going to go through everyone today. I'm going to do a few today and a few during the next show, but I'm going to start with Justin Rogers. This was a transfer from Kentucky, was a top 50, a top 50 recruit in the class of 2020, a, a true nose, a huge guy, can take on double teams, can clog holes, a run stopper, not going to be a guy who, you know, you think of, uh, as a pass rusher, but he is a guy you need, especially, like I, I mentioned, Ron Roberts' his defensive strategy last week on the show. He's somebody who wants to be multiple defensively. He's going to go with some odd fronts out there. Justin Rogers gives him the flexibility to be able to have a true nose and a good true nose uh, for for Auburn. So I like, I like this pickup. Uh, some would argue this was the biggest pickup. That doesn't mean he doesn't have some faults. Justin Rogers at times uh, keeps his head down too much, doesn't keep his eyes up to see where the ball is. But again, when you can take on double teams, it opens it up for the linebackers. And again, with, with the linebacker position being maybe a little bit weaker uh, for this Auburn team, it's important that you have a stronger defensive line to open up those gaps for those linebackers to be able to come in and make tackles. So Justin Rogers is not going to be someone who pops on the stat sheet. However, his importance as far as the team goes is going to be, I think, uh, very high uh, next season. Speaking of linebackers, DeMario Tolan. I remember him from last year, and if you follow recruiting, you might as well. Auburn came awfully close to landing him last year's cycle. He ended up going to LSU, uh, signed with them, and he played in, I believe, uh, 12 games this year for LSU. was not a starter, I don't believe, in every one of those games, but he did play. He's more of a weak side linebacker. Uh, he's very athletic. Uh, very, very uh, good, can tackle in space, can move around. Uh, he's not going to be that that true hard-nosed middle linebacker type, a more athletic, uh, finesse type of backer. But I think someone who who definitely could play and can certainly elevate uh, this linebacker room certainly still needs to be developed, though. Like I said, he played to LSU, so he's got some SEC experience, but not a ton. Still needs to be developed. Uh, we'll see what... Uh, Auburn can do, and Josh Aldridge, the new linebackers coach, can do about developing this room. You know, 
Auburn linebackers have to get better. Uh, they, it just does. We were spoiled uh, as far as the Kobe McLean, one of the most underrated players, was an excellent linebacker for Auburn. And during the Kevin Steele era, you you know you think of multiple guys, guys like KJ Britt, um, that that really were thumpers for this program. Owen Papo was not bad. I, he he he's just never played to the level I kind of hoped he would play at. So Auburn has to improve. I certainly still have a lot of confidence in Cam Riley. Looking forward to seeing his development. But Demario Tolan was a big one. Another big pickup at linebacker, Austin Keys. Now, he was a starter. He had some injury issues, but he was a starter at Ole Miss. Ole Miss did not want to lose him. Uh, Lane Kiffin and the coaches flew to his house to try to convince him to not enter the transfer portal. He did, and Auburn landed him. He is a true more of an inside backer, a true thumper. Uh, he he can get downhill, hard-nosed guy. I think it's good. you got a, a little bit more of a finesse backer in Tolan. Uh, you got a hard-nosed backer in Austin Keys. Uh, obviously, the key for him, uh, no pun intended there, is for him to uh, avoid injury, stay healthy. Uh, but, again, you elevated this room. Auburn also had a transfer linebacker, an all-ACC linebacker, that visited from Virginia. Uh, he is not a guy who's in a rush because he's not going to enroll until the summer. I don't know if Auburn's still going to push for him because they've landed Keys and Tolan. Uh, that remains to be seen. Um, but I certainly uh, like where the linebacker room is at right now uh, because of those two guys. Okay, I mentioned Avery Jones. He is a center Um I mentioned him earlier talking about Connor Liu and how I thought he could come in and start. Well, Avery Jones, this story is is quite remarkable, uh, what exactly went down uh, with, with Avery Jones here. He he was packing his bags, getting ready to head to Champaign, Illinois. Well, that's not Auburn, Alabama. You're right. That is not Auburn, Alabama. That's not anywhere close. But Hugh Freeze called him as he was packing, getting ready to head to Champaign, Illinois, and said, hey, you want to come be an Auburn Tiger? And his response was, yeah, let me come down there for a visit. So instead of heading to Champaign, he drove down to Auburn, had a visit on Sunday night. I believe that next Monday or later that Sunday night, he committed to Auburn. And all of a sudden, uh, Illinois is up there. Brett Belima shaking his head, wondering what in the world just happened. This guy was supposed to be moving in today. Instead, he just slipped to Auburn. Uh, he had committed. He entered the portal right at the time of the, where the uh, transfer portal opened. He committed about 10 days later to Illinois. I never even heard of him. Auburn, like I said, last minute called him up, uh, got him to flip. Of course, there's a lot of drama there. As you're on social media, Brett Belima fussing about NIL. I mean, publicly calling the kid out, which I thought was a uh, not the wisest move, not the classiest thing to do, even if it was true. And again, I don't know if it was or wasn't. Uh, I, I I think you, I'd be remiss to say that I didn't believe NIL played a factor in it. But I also certainly believe Avery Jones wanted to play in the SEC. He said as much. He couldn't pass up the opportunity to play at the highest level. And uh, so here he is. He's going to be an Auburn Tiger. Uh, that was just a very, very interesting uh, recruiting story, how it all went down, uh, that he was committed to Illinois for, for almost a month, and then Hugh Freeze calls him, gets him to come to visit uh, Auburn right before he's uh, slated to move in, and now he's uh, moved into Auburn at this point. Uh, so he is a very, very good run blocker, watching his film, very impressive as a center, also a very athletic center, can get out get out in screens, get out in space if he if he needed uh, needs to. So I really like what he's going to bring 
to anchor down this offensive line. Uh, I really do believe he'll be the starting center next year. Of course, again, Connor Lou, Tate Johnson will also compete at that position. But I like Avery Jones a lot, and I think that was a big pickup. Obviously, Auburn thought so if they were uh, calling him at the last minute and trying to to get him to flip um, there again. Someone who was not on any hot board or anything. It was really, and it just goes to show you how recruiting and the transfer portal is. It, anything can happen at any moment because of. Um, NIL and, and other factors. Uh, high school recruiting is hard enough to follow what a, what a high school kid's going to do regarding flipping and changing their commitment and, and whatnot. Transfer portal is even crazier um, as far as all that goes. So we'll stop there for now. We got to take another break. Uh, we're going to get into some more basketball when we come back, and then again next week we'll dive into more. Um, the transfer portal players for Auburn and break down more of those guys. We've got about seven or eight more guys uh, to get through. So stay tuned here, uh, listening to Talking Tumors here on Weagle 91.1. Welcome back to Talking Tumors now as we switch gears to talking about Auburn basketball here for the second half of the show. So again, Auburn play Mississippi State on Saturday night in Neville Arena. It'll be over a week now. Before Auburn returns, they've got two straight road games. But before we dive into those games that they've got starting tonight and on Saturday, let's recap this Mississippi State game. And I, I believe the quote from Bruce Pearl kind of sums up everything uh, after that game. He's, he said, I don't even begin to know how to explain that, so I'm just going to take questions. Typically, a coach uh, opens it up, opens up a post-game press conference by uh, talking about the game a little bit, giving a statement on the game uh, before questions are asked. Well, like I said, Bruce Pearl had no clue how to answer, uh, how to really put into words what that game was, and that happens sometimes. It, it really does, and that's sports, and especially in basketball. Weird things are going to happen. Some nights the, the ball's going to go in the basket, other nights it's not. And for Auburn, the ball went into the basket at a very high rate, and, and thank goodness it did uh, because Auburn did a didn't do a lot of things well, but they shot the ball well and they got another win. And for Auburn to be sitting at four and one in conference in the first five games, this is as good I think as you could ask out of this team. They're in a lot better position than some other SEC teams currently are. Uh, they're in a good spot as far as the tournament goes right now. Again, still a lot of games left to be played. But I think if you're an Auburn fan, especially how things kind of felt a little bit during non-conference play, where you began to question uh, this team a lot, to see them sitting where they're at right now is important. That doesn't mean there's not going to be some downs in this season to come. There's certainly going to be. The schedule's getting a lot tougher. There's a lot of quad one games uh, to be played. The the Really, Auburn opened up with an easier opening stretch of conference play. It's getting a lot tougher with the opponents they have to play. Uh, coming up in the in the for the rest of the SEC, uh, some of these teams they will play again, but they're also going to play the likes of Tennessee uh, twice. They're going to play the likes of Alabama twice. Uh, they're they're going to play Kentucky on the road. There, there's going to be tougher games to come uh, for this Auburn team. So to be sitting at four and one is good. There there are a lot of worse spots this team could be in. Of course. There, there's going to be some bad stretches. I wouldn't be surprised if this week was a challenge for Auburn. But we'll get into that. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I need to talk about this Mississippi State game. So I, I mentioned the good. Auburn shot 44% from three. They were 11 of 25. That is a uh, one of the best they've shot, if not the best they've shot from three 
all year. Uh, they were four, shot 44% from the field, also very good. Uh, that was a big deal. Uh, Jalen Williams, how about the game he had? After I just mentioned that that I didn't include him in the three of how they go, the team goes, well, uh, I said you know what you're going to get from Jalen. You typically do. Did I expect him to knock down five threes and shoot eight from 15 from the field for 21 points? No, I didn't. So, Jalen, you made me uh, look a little dumb a little bit, but I appreciate that. He had an outstanding game. That was big to see from him. Uh, Wendell Green stepped up when it mattered. He was clutch in that game, knocking down some free throws late when Mississippi State kind of made their final run there. He finished with 17. Alan Flanagan finished with 10. It was a quiet night from Janai Broom. But if other guys step up, that's okay. Jalen Williams stepped up. Wendell Green continued to do his thing. Alan Flanagan continued to do his thing. Uh, Tolu Smith is an excellent player, and he gave uh, Janai Broom fits. And uh, I get that. that there's going to be nights like that where you match up against somebody that's as good or maybe even better than you. And, I, and Tolu Smith isn't near as good of offensive player as Janai Broom is, but defensively he is one of the best defensive big men and the, in the country and uh, they forced Broom out. They also double-teamed him. They wanted to take him away. They knew the offense had kind of been flowing through him, and quite frankly, it needs to flow through him, but they took that away, and Auburn luckily shot well from three. This was a game where a lot of times Auburn might lose it uh, because of the inability uh, to score inside. Auburn had not been a good three-point shooting team, as we know, so the fact that they were able to do that well shows that they can win in a couple different ways. They don't have to just rely on the interior game to win. That was important. Also, Mississippi State was 0 for 18 from 3. 0 for 18. That is quite remarkable. I I think you almost have to try to be that bad from 3. Um, that also uh, played, played a factor. They got some good looks that they weren't able to knock down. So that's why it was a weird game. It was easily a game Auburn could have lost because of it because of the way things went. If if you had told Mississippi State before the game, like, hey, Auburn's going to have to beat you by shooting threes, they would have been, oh, we're going to be feeling good uh, about winning this game. Well, the problem was Mississippi State couldn't knock down any threes either, and Auburn also shot it really well from three. So things just didn't, the trends that you, you talk about so often in games, well, this team, their trends are this, this team, their trends are that. You could throw those out the window uh, for the for this game. I don't think this is how uh, Auburn needs to play or wants to play moving forward. They don't want to have to depend on knocking down 11 threes to win. That's not the way this team is built. But it was good that they were able to win despite not being able to score uh, on the inside. So again, getting another home win, being 4-1 in conference play, it's a big deal. And uh, sitting around, what, number two or three, I think, in the conference standings right now, A&M, uh, I believe maybe two in Auburn, three, if I'm not mistaken there, in the conference standings. And again, a pretty good uh, pretty good seed So right now in the NCAA tournament. But again, don't want to get ahead of ourselves. It's only January, a lot of season left to play here uh, for Auburn. So with that being said, let's look at the things that Auburn didn't do well against Mississippi State that they have got to get back uh, to doing at a high-level turnovers. Way, way too many turnovers uh, in this game uh, for Auburn. About to find the exact, yeah, 20. That is insane. That is way, way, way too many. They had, gotten, they had improved on that the last couple of games, and that was part of their keys to success was that they weren't turning the ball over. They're playing good defense, and that's the trend. If Auburn wants to be a successful team this year, it's not knocking down 11 threes. It's playing good defense. It's limiting the turnovers, keeping games a little bit ugly, and finding a way to win in the end. 
Again, this game went against all trends. As I've said, Auburn had 20 turnovers. So the fact that they were able to win with that many, it, it, it is very, very good uh, to see that. But it's a negative that they had uh, that issue again. Alan Flanagan, I thought, uh, turned the ball over too much again, yet he still had a pretty good game. Still played well defensively. Still uh, scored some points when needed. Uh, so that was that was a big deal despite him turning the ball over, but need to get him back to the level where he's not turning it over and the team as a whole where they're not turning it over is going to be important uh, moving forward as Auburn increases its level of competition uh, in the SEC. So that, that was a negative as far as I thought uh, Auburn went, and then the inability to score in the paint as far as getting involved in Janai was an issue that that is going to have to be corrected because a lot, not every team has a Tolu Smith who can just match up with Janai Broom like he did, but every team's going to try to take him away. Every team's going to try to double to force him to be physical with him. So if he catches that ball in the low post, it's closer to uh, the free throw line than it is to the basket. Uh, pushing him out is going to be key. So if he can turn around and knock, that, knock down some deeper shots, that'll be good. But if he can't, then Auburn's got to figure out a way to get him involved in other aspects of the offense. So something just to keep watching uh, moving forward in this game. Another thing I wanted to comment on uh, was Leor and Chance. I mentioned last uh, Friday I wondered if Chance would come into a role at the three. I mean, not an hour after I finished the show. Bruce Pearl had a, the press conference on Friday before the Saturday Saturday's game and said no, that wasn't the case, that... Essentially saying that it doesn't seem like Chance is going to play this year uh, in meaningful minutes, uh, according to what he said. I think they're really taking this year, really just let him get back healthy uh, from the knee surgery. Bruce said he didn't feel like it would be fair to throw him into conference play after having not played much. Um, it's disappointing, I'll be honest. I, I, want, I want to see him again, but it just doesn't seem like... Um, unless there's some unforeseen uh, circumstances and things that play out, that he will uh, play meaningful minutes again this year. So I hate that. I hope that he gets fully healthy, though, and can really be a next-level player next year like I thought he could be this year, maybe for this team. Again, we'll talk more about him later on in the offseason when we're looking at next year's Auburn basketball team, more than likely, unless, like I said, something changes. So it looks like as long as Chris Moore's out, Leor Berman's going to get those backup three minutes behind Alan Flanagan. He's knocked down some threes. He made a nice jump shot against Mississippi State. Plays good defense. Uh, I think he can play meaningful minutes. He's not going to play a ton, but he can get Alan Flanagan a rest out there, uh, keep him fresh, and can do some nice things. So I, I think he'll continue to stay in that rotation until Chris Moore comes back uh, from the separated shoulder. I don't know the timetable on that. Obviously for Auburn, they're hoping sooner rather than later as far as that goes, but it was good to see that from uh, from Lior, to see him playing uh, good minutes here for Auburn. So that'll conclude the Mississippi State wrap-up. I'm going to go to one final break, and then we'll come back and we'll break down a little bit more of this LSU game and talk a little bit about South Carolina and the stretch ahead for Auburn uh, when we return here on Talking Tumors. on. Welcome back now to the final segment on this Wednesday of Talking Tumors again. Thank you all for, for tuning in today. So let's talk a little bit more about this LSU game. I briefly mentioned it on Friday, but again, it was not the most immediate game, so I didn't spend a ton of time on it. And then Saturday, LSU, wow. Bama ran them out of the gym in Coleman Coliseum. 
uh, beat them by 40. It was a massacre. LSU is 1-4 and four in conference play. They started out, you know, a lot of hype because they beat Arkansas to open up SEC play. That was a big win for them. And then, of course, now they've lost four straight. But this team still has talent. They do. Like I said, they're, as I said on Friday, they're a bit of a rebuild. Of course, almost a completely new roster, a new head coach. But there's still talent there. They're still a dangerous team. And quite frankly, I'm nervous about this game. I really am. Because it's on the road, because of, of LSU's embarrassing outing uh, against Alabama uh, on Saturday, this is going to be a team that's motivated, that's ready to get the, the bitterness of four straight losses and one of those coming by 40 points out of their mouth. Uh, they're going to be playing hard in front of their home uh, home crowd against a, a ranked team, the defending SEC champions. It, it, it just it makes me nervous. It does um, because this, this LSU team can play better than they have been playing. They have the talent to play better than they've been playing. They didn't shoot the three well against Alabama. However, they are not a bad three-point shooting team. Uh, they're in the upper half in the SEC as far as uh, shooting uh threes go. They have a pretty good perimeter defense. Their inside defense, and this should be music to Auburn's ears, has not been very good. Their defense in the paint has not been strong. However, they know that Auburn wants to live inside, so I expect them to adjust a little bit, uh, maybe play a little bit different defensively as far as what they do in the paint to try to take away Auburn's inside game, especially with Janai Broom. But, like I said, they haven't been good at it, so hopefully um, their strengths against Auburn's strengths uh, benefit Auburn because, again, they're a good perimeter defense. Auburn doesn't want to shoot the three, so that's not a bad thing. They're weak in the paint. That's where Auburn wants to score. So Auburn, like I already mentioned, does not need to to depend on making 11 threes in, at any point the rest of the season, but especially not in this game. That's not the offense they need to run. They need to look inside, uh, get to the basket, uh, and figure out a way to score around the basket here. As far as uh, LSU goes, I mentioned K.J. Williams. Him and Janai Broom have faced off uh, before when uh, uh, Janai Broom was at Moorhead State, Murray State, um, K.J. Williams was at. That was in the Missouri Valley Conference. They faced off against each other. Those two teams were two of the best. Janai Broom has gotten K.J. Williams' number uh, the majority of the time in those matchups, but K.J. Williams is still a very talented player and certainly a formidable opponent uh, for Broom. There's familiarity there. Auburn played Murray State last season in non-conference, so there's familiarity uh, between uh, the head coach of LSU's former uh, Murray State head coach, if you didn't know. So again, familiarity between the two. Uh, teams here again. This is I expect this to be a challenging game. This is gonna be a tough game. Uh, it's it's gonna be a battle. I fully believe it'll be a full forty minute battle. Uh, that Auburn's defense is gonna have to lead them uh, to the win here. Again, LSU's offense is not that uh, not that great. Uh, like, but they still got talent. They just haven't had one player who they can really depend on this season uh, to get them points when they need points scored uh, in the game. But again, I think it's going to be a battle. Certainly nervous about it tonight, um, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see how how it finishes out. And uh, then on Saturday, Auburn will travel to South Carolina. So that's back to back road games for Auburn. Uh, it's going to be a challenge. South Carolina is the worst team in the SEC. They are so bad. They are really really bad. I'm still baffled at, at how they won. In Lexington, I mean, it is quite remarkable that they were able to pull that off. But that goes to show you, 
that just because a team is horrible, anything can happen in sports, anything can happen in college basketball, and anything can happen on the road in the SEC, in college basketball especially. So no matter how bad this, this South Carolina team is, if I'm Bruce Pearl, after this LSU game, I am preaching uh, that about uh, South Carolina's win over Kentucky on the road. That, that's, that's what I'm talking about nonstop. I'm not letting them focus on the fact that and, you know, they've gotten destroyed by so many other teams or that they got beat by 14 at home against Ole Miss, who's probably the second worst team in the SEC. I'm not talking about that. I'm trying to completely remove uh, those games from the, the minds of the players at all uh, because, again, the, Auburn should run away with this one. They should win this game by 15-plus against South Carolina. But it, I, it's on the road. Anything can happen again. You saw how Auburn struggled against a really bad Georgia team last year, a really bad Missouri team last year, and those were those were more talented uh, rosters than this, or better roster than this South Carolina team is this year. But still, it, it it's a two it's back-to-back road games. It's just a tough week. It doesn't matter who you're playing, whether they're good teams or not. When you've got a Wednesday road game and then a Saturday road game, uh, they aren't very close. Obviously, you got to go to Baton Rouge, and then you got to fly back, and then you got to fly uh, to South Carolina. It's just tough. It's going to be tough on the players. So it's better to have this week against weaker opponent like a South Carolina, but nonetheless, it's still going to be challenging. So Auburn should win Saturday. They should win comfortably, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was an, also an ugly one. And I would not be surprised if Auburn went 1-1 one and one this week. But I would be ecstatic if they went... 2-0, because Auburn better than both these teams, and just the situation surrounding these games makes me nervous. If they can be 2-0 after this week and be sitting at 6-1 and the SEC, that will be phenomenal. Uh, they'll be pushing into a easy, easily into a top 15 ranking uh, and possibly pushing closer to top 10. Uh, not that, again, not that that's the, the biggest deal in the world, but it will certainly breathe, uh, bring a lot more confidence uh, into the fan base in this program moving forward into what's going to be, like I said, a tough uh, stretch of games down the road here uh, for Auburn moving forward. So I'm looking forward to this uh, these next two games. Of course, we'll be back on Wednesday uh, to preview the Texas A&M game. That's a week uh, from today, which is when Auburn will finally be back at home. Uh, so we'll talk about that one next Wednesday and kind of recap uh, these two games from this past week. So to finish out, I want to talk about, just uh, predict a couple basketball games coming up. Uh, two tonight and then two on Saturday that I, that I find interesting. you got Florida at Texas A&M. Again, Texas A&M is still undefeated in the SEC. Florida kind of still not sure exactly what they are. They have some good wins, have some bad losses. But A&M at home in this one tonight, I like A&M to come out with the victory uh, against Florida. A&M's got a tough week. They play Kentucky on Saturday. Um, wow, what a game did Oscar Shibway have last night against Georgia. They came out with the win. They starting, they're starting to look like Kentucky again. Starting to seem like they figured some things out that maybe the roof hasn't fallen in, uh, on this program and, uh, this team this season. And, uh, I, I thought they would probably get it figured out. Maybe they have. We'll see. Texas a and going to travel to Rupp. I think Kentucky gets the win. So I think A&M goes 1-1 one one this week. They finally get a conference loss on Saturday. So they win tonight. Then I've got a losing Saturday at Kentucky. But certainly going to be one to watch there. Another one tonight. Missouri's also got a tough week. I think they got a little overrated. There was a lot of hype. 
that win against Illinois was a great win in non-conference. It was. That was a big win. Then they beat Kentucky, and that was before we, we knew kind of what Kentucky was. I'm not sure they're as good as people are making them out to be. They're playing Arkansas at home tonight. Arkansas also struggling, coming off the loss to Vanderbilt on the road. They really need this win. Arkansas is going to be in the danger zone of falling more to the bubble of the NCAA tournament if they don't start winning some games here. But I kind of like Arkansas on the road. I kind of like them to get the win on the road at Missouri to start to figure some things out, figure out some identity offensively. It's going to be key for Arkansas, and I like them to get the win here. And then Bama on Saturday travels to Missouri. So again, like I said, Missouri, a tough week. They get Arkansas at home, and then they get Bama at home. So if you got to play these two teams in the same week, you much rather play them both at home. But Bama, man, they just look so good. They got they obviously they face adversity this this week with the Darius Miles situation and the way that has played out. Um, they got the win last night in in Nashville against Vanderbilt, and now they come and travel to Missouri. Uh, but I think Bama's going to get it done on Saturday. But I think it could be a dangerous game for them. And that'll wrap up the show today for our first edition of Talking Tumors on Wednesday. Again, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday. We'll talk more Auburn basketball. We'll talk more transfer portal and breaking down more of the guys Auburn got uh, on their roster. So stay tuned for that, and and, uh, we'll be back again. We'll see you next Wednesday at 10 o'clock. Thank you for listening to Talking Tumors. Make sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 for another edition. Also, make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on WeagleFM.com and follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle and see you next time.